monumental day. I, I thought about finishing up our series on Genesis. Uh, I thought about moving on and starting another series. But I really felt the Lord saying, I want you to take one day and I want you to speak a word that I'm giving you. So would y'all receive a word from the Lord today? Can I just move beyond pastor and I'm moving a little prophet today? And this, I think I'm going to speak something that's going to be a fitting for you in your individual life. I also believe that it is fitting for us as a church, but I really believe this is a word for the body of Christ. Everybody say the body of Christ. You ever thought about what that really means? The body, I think we think it as a metaphor. It ain't a metaphor, sweetheart. We are the body of Christ. Can you believe that he would trust us with that? That he would take all of his presence and all of his power and put it into us and let us be his hands and his feet and his ears and all that is crazy to me. I really believe that today is a word for the body of Christ. So get your, get your pens out, get your papers out, get your amen ready. Come on, we're going to go, all right? I want to read the very beginning of Ezekiel 47. And then I want, to, uh, I want to step back and give you a little backdrop for you history buffs, all right? Ezekiel 47 and 1 says, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. Everybody say, the temple. Now, that's a key word, and I want you, as you're taking notes, just write down the word temple and underline it a couple of times because we're going to keep going back to that word. Now, before we continue on with verse 1, I want to give you a little backdrop. I want to give you a backstory of what's been going on in Ezekiel's life. Um, how many history buffs? How many of you like history? How many hate history? Okay, we'll just pretend you like it today, okay? Because we're going to go back. I'm going to share a couple of things with you. So if you read through the book of Ezekiel, you come to Ezekiel chapter 40, and that's when Ezekiel starts having what he calls God visions. And in these God visions, there he has a guide through these God visions. And he calls him a man. He's got a guide that guides him through. And Ezekiel has several visitations from the Lord. Ezekiel 37, I believe Ezekiel 37 and 47 are two of the chapters that each, each believer needs to master because it really speaks to who we are, speaks to the body of Christ and, and what we're supposed to be doing. But so this is one of his other visitations that begin for him, Ezekiel 40. This entire stream of visions are about a temple. And he's, he's the man, the guide, the angel, God, whoever you, a theophany, whatever you think it was, that is telling Ezekiel, I'm going to tell you how this temple is going to be built. And I'm talking about to the details, the exact measurements, where the doors are supposed to be placed, what, what it's supposed to be facing. I mean, it is detailed. This goes on from chapter 40 all the way through chapter 46. I mean, Detail. If you like details, read it. You will love it. If you don't like details, it'll bore you out of your mind, okay? But there's some rich stuff in there if you really go in and you look at this as symbolic of the body of Christ. Now, theologians differ on this. There are some theologians that believe that the, that the temple of Ezekiel, first of all, it's never been built. As far as anyone can tell, the temple that was, that was spoken to Ezekiel has never been built. And so there are two different types of folks. There are those theologians that believe that it will be built in our lifetime. There will be a day while we're on earth that it will be built in Jerusalem. 
There's another school of thought that believes that it is a heavenly temple. All right, making myself, am I boring y'all already? Come on, you still with me? Some of you believe it's a heavenly temple that when we get to heaven, you'll see it. I don't know where I land on all that, but I do know this, that it is a perfect type of the body of Christ. It is a perfect type of the temple of God, the house of God. And I want to read this scripture to you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 says this, together. Everybody say together. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Everybody say together. Everybody say carefully joined. Now watch this, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you, that's why we gather here together on a Sunday morning. That's why we have gatherings where we meet in homes. There's something about coming together. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? Now I want you to look at your neighbor. I want you to say you and me. Together are the temple of God. Now, wait a minute. I know it's easy to get caught up and thinking this right here is the house of God. This Knoll Center that we come in and convert, like there's something powerful. We put up the pipe and drape. All of a sudden, God shows up, you know. This is my house. The house of God is when you and I get together, where two or more are gathered together in his name. He says, I am going to be with you. And when you pray in agreement together with heaven, I'm going to do what you ask. We are the house of God. Not you. Not me. We. When we come together, fitly joined. Man, I love this. The Bible also says that you are living stones. Don't you love that? You know, bricks were invented by Egyptians. And they were made by slaves. Blood, sweat, tears, death. But he said, you're not a brick and mortar. You, you got to look like everybody else and fit like everybody else. He said, you are a living stone. You breathe and you move. You're a living organism. So sometimes when we talk about the house of God, it can feel real structured. And you know, like, ah, do this. No, it's moving, breathing, moving. While you and I are feeling the presence of God, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are feeling the presence of God. And our Sudanese brothers and sisters are experiencing the same grace that we have. We're part of the same temple. So we're the temple of God. So we've established that, right? Y'all got it? We are the temple of God. So now, with this perspective, I want us to look back at the vision of Ezekiel. So now, from Isaiah, from Ezekiel 40 to 46, now the temple has been built It is erected. It is ready to roll. And now here's what happens in Ezekiel 47 and 1. Finally, getting to our text. Some of y'all like, it ain't my real sermon until he reads the text. It's a real sermon now. Here we go, all right? In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And there I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple. And passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. 
And there I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Now we're going to go all the way through verse 12 today, but I want to stop along the way and share some things with you. Remember, we are the temple of God, symbolic of what Ezekiel was seeing. And do you notice what happens once the temple was finally built and everything was in order? Water began to flow out of the temple. You ever noticed how we gauge things as successful? We gauge things as successful by how much is coming into it. You look at your bank account and go, ah, things are coming into it, right? Your savings account, your investments. We look at the talent. Man, Nashville's full of talent. Man, there's talented people in this church. What's coming in, that's how we do it. The, the, the abilities and the, the strengths, the, the attendance, the spirit. You know what I'm saying? People, man, there's just so much spirit in there. I know I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and that's how we judged if we were having good church or not, was how much spirit was there that Sunday. And we had like watermarks. I could take you back. Hey, remember that one Sunday when so-and-so did that, and that little lady did that thing like that, and then it, whoo, that was powerful right there, man. And then we had that visiting preacher come in, and he did so-and-so. How many have those watermarks in your life, your relationship with But you notice what we do? It's all watermarks. It's how deep was it? How strong was it? How powerful was it? I want you to write this down. God does not gauge things on how much is coming in. He gauges things on how much is flowing out. He gave talents or tokens to servants. And he said, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you five. And then he says, to whom much is given, much is required. So the guy with five talents could have walked over here and just counted his five talents. Little fellow with two could have doubled his. Guy with five would have still had more. You ever met people that had more talent just sitting around than you did working hard as you can? Raise your hand. Yeah. God does not judge this guy because he only ended up with four. He judges this guy because he still had five. God does not gauge success on how much he gives us. I think that's, a, oh, I got the favor of the Lord on my life because he's pouring things into me. That doesn't, God doesn't look at you and say, wow, you're a blessed individual. You're a blessed individual when things start going out of you into other people. Well, smattering of applause. Y'all didn't know, like, could we? Is it all right to applause? You only get three, I think. So, no, that would be all right. You can go for it. If you feel it, go. God is a giving God. You ever notice that? Everything just flows out of God. Life, light, joy, peace, power. What if he just kept it all in? It's mine. I'm God. I'll keep. No, it's always coming out of him. We are most like God when things are flowing out of us. You become like him when you become a giver, when you share. When you walk into a room and people are happy that you're there and sad when you leave. We'll get on that in just a minute because I thought that was going to be a little too, I was going to meddle too much that early in the message. I'm going to save that one down just a little bit. 
So with this perspective that we are the temple of God and the water flows out of the temple, look at John chapter 7 and verse 38. It's on the screens right here behind me. And the New Living Translation says, anyone who believes in me, and I love that when you read this scripture, there was a big festival going on. And there was a lots of drinking and hanging out and having a, all this, having a blast. And all of a sudden, one translation says, and Jesus yelled above the noise, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow out of his heart. We are the temple of the living God. And we, just like Ezekiel's vision, are supposed to have water flowing out of us everywhere we go. Out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. How many like that feeling? How many like being around people that just are life-giving? Just ah, When you're around them, you're like, ooh, I like being around you. You ever been around people that are life-sucking? Life-taking? You feel like a part of you is gone when it's just me, 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 me. What do you say about me? When we're done talking about me, we're talking about me, mine, and myself, and I, me, 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 me. And they can even be telling you something that's good, but still be making it all about them, like me. That's just, that's this thing, bringing it back into me. He said, no, I don't want you to be that. I don't want you to be a church like that. I don't want you to have a marriage like that. I don't want you to be a mama or a daddy or a child like that. I want us to be temples that are, it's flowing out of us. Let's jump to verse 3 of Ezekiel 47. So now his guide begins to take Ezekiel down the river, like this right here. So he's taking him, it starts here at the temple, and he begins to take him down the river, and he measures out 1,750 feet. And he says, right here, now let's walk across. And they begin to walk across, and the scripture says that the water was up to his ankles. And then he measured another 1,750, and he led him across again, and now it was up to his knees. Went on down 1750 feet again, and he went, and it was up to his waist. And then he measured another 1750, and the river was too deep to walk across. He said it was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. Now, I've, I've been preaching for a long time, and when I get to this scripture right here, man, I used to go all in on this. You gotta get in the waters, you cannot walk in. Right? You got to go all in. If you're walking, you ain't trusting. Go in, swimming. But something that really stood out to me in this scripture is that there are different depths for different entry levels. Never seen that before. But God is so amazing that he knows how limited we are. And that some people come to know him, and I mean the first day they know him. Oh, where's the deep end? Let's go, baby. Right? Woo-hoo! All in. There are other people that have a personality and a gift set that goes, I don't know about all that, but I may get ankle deep. And for some reason, I think we try, we make people feel really guilty for testing the water out. Shame on us. Shame on us for trying to push people into the deep end to teach them to swim. Our pastor used to tell us this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. 
No matter where you come from, no matter what your sins are, no matter how bad you are, how good you are, it's all level at the foot of the cross. So what happens is he says to us, whosoever will can come. I don't care if you want to go ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Come on, anybody can come. Is that a good, does that make anybody just feel better about your relationship with the Lord? Because I'm going to tell you what you'll do. You'll look at your knees and you're like, oh God, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. And then you look down here at somebody swimming and you'll feel guilty because they're just immersed in it. And you're like, I can't do that. You can do that. But God gives you this beautiful ability to wade. Here's what I love about our Savior, is he allows us to choose how deep our relationship with him is. He doesn't force it on us, doesn't make us do anything, he allows us. But let me tell you something, those of you that are in your ankles, those of you on your knees, you cannot even begin to fathom, there's a good little play on words, you cannot even begin to fathom the blessings of going all in with Jesus. If you want to stay here, that's fine. But I'm telling you, those people that have found that way to go all the way and submerged in him, there are so many blessings and wonders that come in your life. I want to encourage you to do that. Let me say this to you. Write this in your notes. I want to say this. The further you go with him, the deeper you get. So let me say, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and you're still splashing around in the kiddie pool, Maybe time to go on down the river a little bit, sweetheart. Just a little bit. Somebody say it with me. Come on in, the water's fine. Come on. Verse 6. Then he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? One translation says, son, have you been watching? And then he led me back along the riverbank. And when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. Man, there's a good trajectory, right? Desert and Dead Sea, right where a river is needed. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Man, I love this next line. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Matter of fact, so much that fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea all the way from Engedi to Engedi. I don't know much Hebrew, but I know if you like clear your throat when you say it, you're pretty close to it. So the shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. How many of y'all like you some good Mediterranean food? Y'all like it? How many of you like some dead seafood? Nah. Ain't heard of that, have you? I'm going to give you a couple of highlights. You can write this down about what happens where the river flows. Number one, where the river flows, growth happens. He said, I was surprised by the sight of the many trees growing on both sides of the river. When the river is flowing where it's supposed to flow, things are going to grow. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. You can't hide a good songwriter. I'm going to tell you right now, buddy. Just comes out of them. When the river's flowing, things are going to be growing. 
So if you and I are to a place that growth has stopped, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your discipline, whether it's in your walk with God, then you need to step back and go, I probably need some more living river in my life. I need, to allow, I need some more God in my life. I need some more Holy Spirit flowing in my life. Because when the Holy Spirit is flowing, things are going to get bigger. Things are going to get stronger. Things are going to multiply. That's why I look at here today and I'm like, this is incredible. This means that the Holy Spirit River is flowing in the hills because we got people everywhere at two services. That's exciting to me. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna say that again. We got people everywhere at two services. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Now, let's go, baby. Yeah. Scream my lungs out for y'all last night, and y'all sit there and look at me. Ain't going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now. Everybody say bigger, stronger, more fruitful. Full of life. Come on, don't, doesn't that feel good to you? Don't you love that? How many want, yeah, we're married. Man, we're married, baby. Huh? Me like that. How many, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Jesus Christ is my Savior. He's my master. I can't get enough of him. I mean, how, see the difference there? He did not come that we could just get out of hell and into heaven. He came that we could have life and life more abundantly. Where the river flows, life will flourish. All right, next. Where the river flows, freshness happens. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh. Man, you got some staleness in your life? You got some staleness? Chris and I sometimes will walk into the boys' room and say, hmm. And we'll start looking, what is that? It's just boys. It's just stale. (laughs) And Evan, y'all know Evan. Evan is the most organized person that I know. And but he organizes in piles. So just piles and and they're just neatly arranged. I mean symmetrical piles. And I think, couldn't you just fold that or just take that pile of staleness and just go put it in the laundry? Would that be all right? What's up, Ev? <laughs> and Davis is just, there's no piles. It's just one. Katrina is what we call him. It just feels like. But you walk in sometimes and you know, Chris and I do it with one another. Like, we're happily married, been married. I said last week, I said, what, 24 years, 26 years? And we've been married 22, actually. Uh, uh, where the other four went, went, it's just incredible. But you know, I, there are those days, though, that we just look at each other and go, this ain't abundant. This isn't fresh. This is stale. And we're not happy with that. We need to have that kind of mindset in our life. We're not satisfied with stale. God doesn't want anything to be stale. He wants fresh What's it fresh? The next thing that's going to happen is when the, where the river flows, purity happens. He said the impurity of the Dead Sea is going to become pure. Let me talk to you right now. There are some of you in this room now that you feel like your impurity disqualifies you 
from doing a work for God. You feel like your impurity makes you separated from fulfilling the call of God on your life. Let me say something. If impurity did that to us, none of us would be doing anything. David couldn't have done it. Paul couldn't have done it. Nobody but Jesus could have done it. So what does that mean? What do I do with my impurities? You let the living river come in. I think what happens with us is we think we got to get the impurities right. We gotta, I got to work on me. I got to make me better. I, I gotta, and there's this guilty thing, this condemnation. You can never get over that. There's a difference in conviction and condemnation. Conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, you need to, you need to work on this. Let me help you do it. Condemnation is you're never going to be good enough. I'm going to beat you down. That is the work of the enemy. And the scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who don't follow the flesh, but they follow the spirit. I want to, rel- I want to help somebody right now. Don't let your mess ups and your impurities make you think that you can't do it. That all you need to do is, I messed up. I'm talking about some of you are still hanging on to things you did 10 years ago. Are things that were done to you when you were a child. Somebody took advantage of you and did something to you. You had no, but for some reason, you still think that made you impure. Listen to me. I'm not a pastor right now. Let me prophesy over you. The living river of God wants to wash all of that mess away. Would anybody just receive that today? Come on. Something that you did or happened to you years ago or something that you did last night. That you think for some reason disqualifies you. Paul said, look, there is grace. That doesn't mean we sin because there is grace, but there's still grace. All right, let me ask you a question. I want all of you to get ready for this. How many of you believe when you confess that Jesus was your Lord and you repented of your sins, that his blood washed you as white as snow? I'm just looking. I put him down then why do we think that that ends after that moment? The Bible says he makes his mercies new every day. That means when you wake up in the morning, he's got just enough of his mercy for every mess up that you have planned that day. So flow, river. Flow. I'm looking at people right now that are world changers. You're world changers. You're going to write songs that are going to change the world. You're going to be teachers. You're going to be coaches. You're going to be husbands and fathers and missionaries and inventors and multimillionaires. But not if you keep yourself limited to the impurities and the mistakes and the mess ups. What do I do? You got to quit being you and just let the Holy Spirit flow through you. And I'm liking these two services. Let's go. Where the river flows, growth happens, freshness happens, purity happens. And where the river flows, life happens. Man, I love that. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Wherever it flows, water, man, just flows in and life begins to flourish. It didn't just say life. Did you notice in our text it says swarms of living things? Just, just tons of them. I don't know if that was what a swarm sounds like, but in my head. Fish will abound. And not just fish, multitudes of fish. You know, fish are always symbolic of souls in the Bible. 
Whenever you see a fish in the Bible, you always can look at that and go, that's symbolic of the lost. That's who Jesus is going after. That's who God is going after. You ever notice the scripture when they threw their nets over and they caught, I think it was 152 fish. You ever wonder why he named that? Because at that time, there were 152 represented people in the world. Isn't that crazy? The fish always represent the lost. It represents the souls. Let me say something to you. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the one who draws and compels. Yes, we do our part. We do everything we can. But in reality, if we want to reach this city, we just need to let the living river flow. Come on, flow, river. If the river flows, the lost will come. And I mean so many, the fishermen stand along the side. They're just all standing. Nets are drying. You know, when Chris and I felt led to plant a church in Nashville, we went to two different church planting organizations. Then we said, we're going to plant a church in Nashville. Would you support us? And both of them looked at us and said, no. And we said, why not? And they said, because it's, there's too many churches there, first of all. And it's a church graveyard. We've tried it. We've tried, they said, one, one church planting organization said, we have a 90% success rate, but we've tried to plant 10 churches in Nashville and all of them have failed. So we're not going to do it. So Chris and I said, all right, well, God, you got to do something else. That organization was going to give us $30,000 that we would end up paying back to them. And instead, God said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. They don't want to help you out. I'm going to help you out. And at a church conference at 10 o'clock a.m. on a Wednesday morning, they raised $150,000 and didn't loan it, gave it to us. <laughs> gave it. So let me just throw that in there right there. If God wants it done, he's going to get it done. And now Nashville has more church plants in the south than any area around. You know what that says to me? That ain't competition. That's saying, oh, Living River's getting ready to come. Fishermen are lining up. They're getting ready. God is about to do something in this city. You listen to me. God's about to do something great in this city. And we get to be a part of it. Not only does life happen, I love this, where the river flows, growth happens, freshness happens, purity happens, life happens, but then it goes another step. Where the river flows, the dead lives. The dead lives. He said, I'm going to let this river flow, and when it touches the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is going to come to life. Let me explain the Dead Sea to you. Some people say it shouldn't be called a sea. It should be called a really big lake. But it's called the Dead Sea because nothing can live there. If you took the Dead Sea and you compared it to ocean water, it is 10 times more salty than ocean water. How many ever dove in and got a big chunk of that salt? Your nostrils just burn well, just imagine adding 10 times more salt to that and then taking a big gulp of that. It is so salty that no fish live there. Animals don't come around. There's only a few microorganisms that actually survive there because it is so salty. And yet the scripture says when the living river hits that, it comes to life. Multitude of fish, animals everywhere. I'm looking at some of you right now that have some things that are not just dead, 
They were, as we say in Mississippi, dead. And they've been dead a long time. Dreams that you buried in the backyard. Visions that you tucked under your bed. Journals and maps and schematics and lyrics and plans and thoughts that you have tucked away. I'm going to tell you right now, you better start pulling that stuff out again. Get your shovel, start getting up out of the backyard, reach under that bed, pull that journal out, dust. just blow the dust off of it and get it ready because there is a living. I'm, I'm not told you, I'm not preaching a sermon today. I feel like I'm delivering a message to this church. You get ready. The river is getting ready to flow. It's coming and the dead's going to live. The dead is going to live. I mean, some of y'all, it's been dead a long time. We just nod your head if, you, if I'm talking to you right now. Don't, don't nudge your spouse. This will not be the time talking to you. Been dead a long time. Reminds me when Jesus showed up at Lazarus' tomb. And they're like, by now, he's stinky now. You're too late. <laughs> he's this bad off. You're too late. And he said, I'm never too late. The living river is going, I can't wait. In the next two, three, six months, we're going to have, we're going to have testimonies of folks who were sitting in this room that received this word and things that were long dead, buried, embalmed are going to come back to life. Anybody receive that word right now? Verse 11, but the marsh and the swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Did you see that? He says, fish of every kind are going to fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. But everything's about life and flowing. And all of a sudden, there's this little caveat that he steps out and he says, however, the marshes and the swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. What is a swamp? It's a river with no banks. There's no boundaries to a swamp. It goes where it wants to go. I want to say something to you. Your life, my life, will never be fruitful as it can be if we do not have some type of boundaries in our life, some form, some discipline. Set the alarm. I know you want to write songs. Don't show up late for the co-write. Show up. Have some form. Have some discipline. Have someone in your life that can tell you no. Have these people in your life. The word of God. Man, you talk about a form. It will give you direction. It will give you guidance. And man, I hate that spirit of religion trying to tell me what to do. No, it's just trying to get you to flow in the right way. You notice where, where the trees popped up? Where the trees popped up? Where? I can't hear you. In the banks. Fruit doesn't grow in the flood. It grows on the banks. And what I've learned is there's, there's a several different types of believers. There's the believers that are like, I just want to flow, man. I'm going to get the flow on. I'm going to flow. And then there's, we need some form around here. You got to be rigid. You got to be strong. Speak the truth. Are you preaching the truth, preacher? And what I find is God wants both. The form and the flow. The flow flows in the form. But the form is not telling the flow where to flow. That's religion. The flow is telling the form where to form. 
See, the river flows and carves out. That's what's happening. The Holy Spirit begins to make the form. We're not, it's not man-made religion and rules and regulation. It's the Holy Spirit that is saying, hey, this is how we're going to do things. And then we get this thing right, get things in order, get all the teams together, get your finances, get your budget, get it all ready. And then watch trees start popping up along the banks. That is good. Write this down. We need some purpose to go along with our passion. I know you got passion. What's the purpose? I know you got purpose. What's the plan? Go in some form. And lastly, where the river flows, fruit happens. Fruit trees of all kind, verse 12, will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fail. And there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month. For they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. And the fruit will be for food and leaves for the healing. When the river's flowing, fruit happens. Fruit everywhere. And fruit that doesn't wither so the leaves don't wither and fall and fade. And the fruit is always there. And you don't have to wait till apple season. It's every month. You just roll back up and there it is again. You know, John 15 says, if you want, how many want to give God glory with your life? Come on, really. How many want to give God glory? He says, I mean, you know what gives God glory? If you bear a lot of fruit and your fruit remains. That's what gives God glory. God doesn't get glory out of somebody that bears a lot of fruit. <laughs> And then the next month, it's all withered, dead, dry. God gets glory when we bear a lot of fruit, and that fruit hangs around. God wants your life to be fruitful. He wants my life to be fruitful. He wants every area of our life to be so full of fruit. And you know what I love about this? The fruit is not for us. He says the fruit is going to be food for the nations. And the leaves are going to be medicine for the nations. I think we look at our fruit trees and go, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to bring this into my house. See, there we are again, filling our temple up. and getting our. No, he says, I want you to take it. I want you to distribute it. I want you to put it out. I want the nations to be healed. I want the nations to be fed. Y'all listen to me. It is not God's will that anybody be hungry or hurting. I'm going to say it again. It is not God's will that anybody be hungry or hurting. But the reason they are is because we're waiting on the government to do it. And that's the church's job. Not the government's job to heal. Not the government's job to feed. But they've had to do it because we won't do it as a church. Because we're too busy getting our watermarks and seeing what we can do better. And man, wasn't that music great? And didn't we build another amazing building? Nothing wrong with all that. As long as there's a flow, it's coming in and it's going out. It's coming in and it's going out. Kristen and Suzanne went. Uh, this past week, and Suzanne didn't know it, but Kristen was on a little spy mission for us to do some research for some serve projects that we want to do uh, here in this city. And some of these folks are right here today. We're so glad that you're here. We're going to help you. We're going to be a part of helping you. We're going to be. We're going to do everything that we can, everything we can. And Suzanne, let me tell you something. Listen to me. This is just for you. All right, y'all can all doze off. I'm going to tell Suzanne and Michael something right now. 
I'm honored to be in your life. But I'm going to tell you something. No longer the stress and the worry of you feeling like that you've got to carry the weight of nations, all right? The living river that flows through you is going to take care of that. So I just want to release you from that burden today. How about any of you? How many of you feel the weight of something so strong on you? You feel like, I got to do this. I got to make this team win. I got to get this. Raise your hand. Let me just release you of that. It ain't about you. It's about the Holy Spirit, the living river coming. Somebody come play, man. I knew I'd do this. I get to the second service. I'm like, I got all the time in the world. First service, I finished right on time. Let me say something to you. Here's the the reason. Here's the reason that we got to be careful about it being us. Because what is in us is what flows out of us. I'm going to say it again. What's in you is what flows out. Or another way is whatever you're full of is what is flowing out of you. Proverbs 4.23. If you bring that on the screens, Proverbs 4 and 23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everybody say my heart. It flows from that. Luke 6.45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his. For the mouth speaks whatever the heart is full of. And Jesus said in John 38, rivers of living water will flow out of your heart. So listen, if you're doing it by yourself, all the world's going to get is just more of you. The greatest lesson that Chris and I learned about pastoring a church and being ministers is that y'all don't need more of us. We just need to get out of the way. Holy Spirit, come on, let the living river flow through me.